This has been the worst week in sports history for yours truly. Absolute worst. With the horrible picking by yours truly and the failure of Saturday night. While a new day has happened in Bowling Green, a new captain of the ship to finish out the year, it's still proving it's the same Falcon team. While Ohio State gets boiled in Lafayette. The Browns yet again find another way to lose a game. While Detroit gets the job done in Miami. Another team that didn't get the job done was the Jackets. And their continuing struggles as of late. And no brew crew in this World Series. Didn't do a show on Friday. Got a lot to get into tonight. Because this is all Andy Alfred right here on the Anchor Network. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. 24 runs in the span. We're going to get shut out. Gambino. Hit to a home run. It's time for all Andy Alfred. And oh, I love you guys and welcome into this Tuesday edition of All Andy Alfred, the 23rd of October 2018. I am your host, that's good with tuna and toast, the one and only Andy Alfred, coming to you from the studios here in Toledo, Ohio, as you are listening to me on the plethora of platforms. That's whether it be with the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes. Hi, how you doing? Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Now, Stitcher. However you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program tonight, and you can always be a part of the show by following me on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. Got a lot to get into tonight, of course. We'll preview the World Series happening at Fenway Park tonight. We'll also talk a little bit about the NHL and the the continuing woes that are the Blue Jackets as of late. And you'll hear my take on that, as well as we'll dive in a little bit of the ECHL with the walleye and so much more. So let's get right into it. We're going to start with college football first and foremost because this, this show can't live without it. And this is a big day. This was a big day this past Saturday. A new regime, new man running the ship for the rest of the year. And Carl Pellini, Bo Pellini's cousin the former coach of Nebraska, of course. Carl Pellini, coach at FAU for a, for a bit, for coming into Bowling Green as the defensive coordinator and taking over the ship this upcoming year. And he takes over from a failure of a coach in Mike Jenks. And, you know, this game to me, and I got a chance to watch it from start to finish, as they went into Ohio, into Athens, to take on the Bobcats. Now, it was homecoming for Ohio in this game. So, you know, this was, you know, 
a good choice for Ohio to call this a homecoming game because BG was horrible. They were one and seven, six going into the game, into this game last Saturday night, and you know it was a good crowd on hand in Athens for homecoming, of course, and yet again this team again. Even with a new coach in helm right now for for the time being, for the last bit of the season. You know, talking about this really quickly before we dive more into this game. You know, this game, to me, was either a put-up or shut-up. And I, I give Pelini three games. And I know he wasn't going to, this game wasn't going to be a great game because he gets the job on Saturday, Sunday. He has to prepare on Monday for get his guys ready to go and you know five days out from a game I, I I didn't see them winning this game really easily I really didn't and they and they didn't win this game pretty easily it started early and it was great Scotty Miller to, from Jared Day to Scotty Miller on the first on the first play getting 27 yards and then on the third play going deep and Ohio getting caught out of balance Miller catches the football. He scores a touchdown. It's 7-0 Bowling Green. And I'm saying, oh my goodness. Could we have broken the curse? Could we have gotten rid of the guy that was causing us this? 7-0. That was the only lead of the day for Bowling Green. Okay? Then Ohio then takes it down the field. Rourke. Goes deep, gets a touchdown, and it was seven seven. So I said, "All right, you know, gotta give him, gotta give him a credit for that one." Next position, Bowling Green goes down the field, scores again. It's fourteen to seven, and I'm saying to myself, "Okay, you know, let's help our defense holds it." And that's all the offense could muster in this game. Fourteen points. The defense. Again, failed this team. It shows lack of youth leadership and lack of of character. And it shows lack of responsibility for taking one's actions. You'll hear it in the press conference later on today of how Polini showed the guys on Sunday the footage. Showed the game footage to them. Showed them what plays work and what didn't work. Because somebody was selling themselves out. And that's what happened most of the game. They were playing two-man, cover two, cover three most of the time. And they were leaving guys open and they were capitalizing on it in Athens. The Bobcats go in on homecoming. Get the win on homecoming by a final score of 49-14. to For BG in the game, Jared Deggy had a great game. 19 for 24, 214, two TDs, one INT in the game. Daily, six carries for 36 yards. The, the, the carries, the rush defense wasn't really that great in this game. They only got 100 yards of total rush, and we'll get into that in just a second. But Scotty Miller, six receptions for 145 yards, one TD. Ryan Harlow, three catches for 20 yards, one TD in the game. For Ohio, Rourke, 8 for 12 for 193, 4 TDs, 1 INT in the game. Irons, 12 carries for 116 yards, no TDs. White, 2 catches for 92 yards, 2 TDs. Meyer, 3 catches for 52 yards, 
one TD in the game. The breakdown looks like this. BG had 13 first downs to Ohio's 32. On third down, Bowling Green was 4 for 11, Ohio 4 for 6. Total yards in the game. Oh, to, uh, excuse me, Bowling Green gave up 597 yards of total offense in this game. 205 through the air, 392 on the ground. It shows you again the rush defense is not there. It shows you yet again. Bowling Green, 314 yards of total offense, 214 in the air, and the majority of that was from Scotty Miller. Was his 145? 100 yards, 100 yards of total rushing. That's that's that you can't have that. And penalties again kill Bowling Green. Seven penalties for 78 yards. Ohio four penalties for 29 yards. You know this game was in our wheelhouse. We had a chance to do it, but excuse me. Like I said. Bowling Green's defense was not there. And the fact that this guy had five days to prepare, you know, was, was I, like I said, I don't give him, I'm not knocking him for this. I am totally not knocking him. He got five days. I will give him credit for getting this team up and how, how explosive it was in the first two drives of the game was fantastic to see. Daigie to Miller, Daigie to Marlowe, great receptions. And, and Daigie's taking hits. He's getting popped. This kid's going to be playing on Sunday. So was Scotty Miller and Andrew Clare. And even though Clare was not in this game, you know his presence there really helps out the offense. But the defense has got to get better. It has to get better. And we got Kent State coming up. Next Tuesday, that's by the way, we're going to make mention of this right now. We are going to be doing the show Monday, next Monday's edition of All Andy Elf. Next show, the ne- uh, next week's show sets up for a Monday show, the 29th, because Bowling Green plays the 30th. We will talk about, we'll get you set up for the Bowling Green Kent State game. On Monday's edition. So Monday edition of All Andy Elf for next week. And, I, and I'll make mention of that again at the end of the program as well. But we're going to turn on to the uh, press conference from Carl Polini, The interim head coach of the Bowling Green State University Falcons. You'll hear what he has to say about how his team prepare, how his team preparing for the Kent State game. As well as what broke down and what, what he has to do for his defense and his offense as well in this upcoming week and what how they have to improve themselves after this Ohio game. So here is the press conference from Carpolini from this past Monday, courtesy of the Falcon Athletic Department. You know, I echo a lot of what Scotty said. I thought the week of preparation was a good one. I think our guys came back and, and they battled every day and, and prepared well on the practice field. There was great energy in the meeting rooms every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. There was good energy on, on the practice field. Um, and it just, for some reason, didn't translate Saturday. And I thought, you know, we came out the game. I thought there was good emotion to start the game, um, playing hard. Uh, we're in a close ball game, and then we had some adversity there with the interception. 
uh, busted coverage defensively that gave up a big play, and and I think our um, I think there was a doubt. There was doubt at that point, and and something I think the the biggest thing for you know my charge at, at moving forward is to you know get across to these guys that you know everything's not always going to go your way in the in the course of a football game, and um, sometimes you're going to have the momentum, but you're going to have to fight like heck to keep it, and sometimes you're going to lose the momentum, and how you respond at those moments is going to be your measurement. That's what you're going to be measured by, and and. You're just gonna have to fight like heck to get the momentum back, and and I didn't love the way we responded, um, and not from an effort standpoint by any means. I thought the players played hard to the end, um, but from an execution standpoint, and what I saw on film on Sunday were guys trying to do too much, uh, thinking they had to go outside of their responsibilities to make plays to change the game, and you know my message to them and showed them examples on both sides of the ball that when we executed, we were okay. Um, but then when we out, went outside of the scheme, we tended to hurt ourselves throughout the game on Saturday. And, and so to trust each other, trust the other 10 guys on the field that they're going to do their job and, and to do your job and, and trust the coaches that the scheme is going to work if it's executed right. And I think uh, over the next 10 days, that's going to be the major point of my message. And, and that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to work toward improving as we head into the Kent State game. You guys have some, obviously some time here. How much are you focusing on yourselves specifically versus you know the typical game plan a, a team's going uh, The way I built the week was Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll get a little bit of work on Kent State, but more on ourselves. A lot of good against good, a lot of fundamental work, um, a lot of individual work. A lot of, you know, when we get to team situations, it'll be more ones versus ones and twos versus twos and kind of go back to camp and, and really work on the fundamentals of the game, the assignments, how we play, not just what we're calling. Um, and then they'll have another day off on Thursday, and then Friday will begin a typical game week of preparation. So we'll get a little jump start on Kent State on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, but more importantly, we'll focus on some of the things that we think we have to improve in ourselves going um, as we head down the road. How do you keep these guys motivated? I mean, there, there's not going to be a bowl game. There's not going to be a MAC championship. How do you keep them motivated to keep playing? Well, thank goodness I haven't had to, um, and, I, and I'll say that. I mean, there was a lot of determination in that room last week, um, and there was a lot of determination in that room yesterday when we met. Um, so I, don't, I didn't feel like it all had to come from me. Now, I think a certain amount of energy has to come from me every day, and they're going to respond to that. But these guys love the game of football, and, and I think, you know, when they get to play at this level, um, they've proven that. Um, they're going to go out and they're going to they're going to do their best and and we got to make sure that they're coached up that you know they can put a better performance on the field a week from Tuesday. The last names uh, on the back of the uniform we decided to, to make that change. Can you speak about it a little bit? What you were looking for? You know, we talked a lot about last week. Um, each day, you know. I was able to do some research, you know, that, that Sunday night when I took the job. And, and I felt the most important thing culturally that we have to teach these guys is, is not just wanting to win. I think everybody wants to win and everybody's willing to work toward winning. But what it takes to win uh, in this difficult game. 
And we had a number of, of different um, points that we covered over over the course of the week. And and one of them was that, you know, for, for a team, any organization to be successful, everybody's got to feel a sense of worth. And one individual is not important and any more important than anybody else. And the guy who gives you a look on scout team every day is just as important to our success on Saturday as a starting quarterback. And we really hammered that point home and the players kind of responded to that. And so I, I you know, I approached that with some of the seniors and they, and they thought that was a great idea. And, you know, it's not going to work miracles. But again, just another way to get to get that teaching and that culture established here. When you looked at Phil, did you come up with any reason for the disconnect between the way you practiced and the way you played? Again, I, I would say the lack of execution, and I know that's coach speak, and you hear that all the time, but, but again, not an effort thing, and not a, it, it comes down to a lot of times guys trying to do too much and, and trying to force something that isn't there and, or not communicating on the back end or, or you know, again and again. And, and we were able to pull examples right off the film and show our guys, okay, here it is when we executed and when everybody was on the same page and everybody was doing what they're supposed to do and that's a successful play. And then here it is where one or two broke script and that's not a successful play. And I think, you know, being able to do that on Sunday and, and really have that time yesterday to do that really opens some eyes in our locker room. And, and hopefully it'll lead to better execution as we head down the road. I think the energy was there. The want to was there. And it was a, a week that we really talked about energy and bringing it every day and, and having really upbeat, up-tempo practices. And we did that. And for a young team or a team that's learning how to win, sometimes they think that that's just going to automatically translate into game day, where I have to get that message across or the teaching across to them that that'll only translate on game day if they approach the game with the same focus and energy that they approached it throughout the week. It's not just going to magically happen. So that's where we are as a football program, and it's my job to make strides in that area. Is that message any different than what these kids have been hearing for the last, the first seven weeks, Coach? We've talked a lot over the first, not just the eighth game, but the first seven about execution. A different voice. Um, you know, as far as, you know, I, I, I don't want to really go to that, you know, but, but I, all I can do is look at where we are as a football program, as a football team, and, and see what I need to address and focus on those things, and that's what I'm trying to do. I feel like the pressure has just built on the kids, just you know, the way the season's gone, lost the setting, and then just all the different things that have happened. Is that part of it? Um, it was certainly an emotional week, you know, and I and I um, I appreciate that, you know, and and I and I understand that that's difficult for a young man. Um, as far as the pressure goes, I don't know, perhaps, but um, you know, one of the great things you can teach a student athlete throughout his time in the program is how to handle adversity and how to come back and and how to handle pressure. And those are great teaching moments for our staff. And if that is an issue, then we need to identify it and we need to keep, 
keep building that aspect of our culture and, and so that it doesn't matter what happens. Um, any adversity we face, because we're going to face adversity in football, in life, in academics, but how we handle that is our measurement as a, as a program, as student-athletes, and as coaches. you got more than a week, but what's Andrew Clare's status? Um, still up in the air. You know, it, it's, a, it's an ankle sprain, and, you know, it was a, uh, I was hoping to have him back for Saturday, um, but, you know, he wasn't able to go. He did everything he had to do, and he's continuing to do that. So it's a little up in the air, um, hopeful. Let me just put it that way. Uh, the rest of the guys, guys um, Kyle Jr., Marcus Milton, Labus, they're all kind of in the same boat. We've just got to kind of wait and see. Um, but the extra days do give us an opportunity, hopefully, to get healthy before the Kent State game. Yeah, Caleb's back. You know, he played Saturday, and and you know, one thing Caleb missed a couple weeks and um, had to get his conditioning back. And you know, we had a plan for using him, and we did, and we'll continue to push his reps and and push him back in the lineup. Um, you know, as we see fit and, and as he's able to do. Yes. The uh, Kent State offense is one that you know we've seen here before with Sean Lewis. Um, what do you what do you see about what those guys do, and obviously how they're you know working and perfecting? You know, very balanced. Um, you know, I, I'd equate it to going against our offense in the spring. You know, they uh, it all starts with the run game and the RPOs off of it. Um, so you know, more importantly than any week, you know, you play a team like that. You got to have 11 guys on the field ready to do their job. And if I'm in coverage, I'm in coverage. Run fakes can't affect me because, you know, if you start packing the box, they're going to throw the RPOs. And if you're too loose and just defending the pass, they're going to give it on the run. So we got to have a good plan. Uh, we got to have a good plan to execute our defense. And, and again, most importantly, we have to have discipline where 11 guys are reading their keys, have their eyes in the right place, and defending their aspect of, of that offense. So Bowling Green will then now wait a week, have a full week off, and they will get ready for Kent State on the 30th, the day before Halloween. And that game, I don't know yet. They have not yet announced if it's going to be an ESPN game yet. We'll, we'll give you the details on Friday's edition of all Andy Alford is you're listening to the program tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, Stitcher. However you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And let's dive a little bit more into the college football spectrum. And how about this? The University of Toledo, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this now, folks. The University of Toledo is not going to make the MAC championship. I said it. I said it, and I will say it again. UT will not make the MAC championship game. They are a two-loss MAC team now. Two losses. Two key losses against Eastern Michigan the week before and now losing to Buffalo and being absolutely embarrassed on their home field. So I'm watching the game with my father on Saturday. You know, we're watching the game on TV. It was absolutely crappy conditions out there, you know. And it was nice to start, and then the winds picked up, you know. And that's what happened. It was the winds of change happening in Toledo. Absolutely the one of the worst games 
for the University of Toledo, I think, in a, in a long time since the Appalachian game loss in the Raycon Bowl. That's how bad it was. They couldn't get anything started with Igani. They couldn't get anything going with Peters. And, you know, it, it proved it. It honestly proved it. As the University of Toledo loses to Buffalo 31-17. to Per Buffalo in the game, Jackson was 25 for 46, 326 yards, a total in the passing, two touchdowns, three INTs in the game. The defense was there. Defense was there for Toledo. It's just their offense couldn't get going. Peters, 20 carries for 90 yards, two TDs in the game. Osborne, seven catches for 90 yards, no touchdowns in the game. Johnson, four catches, 83 yards, two TDs in the game. Peters was in the game. He was 5 for 17, 128 yards, one touchdown, one INT in the game. Gadani was in the game, 2 for 4, 9 yards, no touchdowns, one INT in the game. Kobach, 9 catches, 81 yards, 1 TD. Seymour, 12 catches, 12 carries, 74 yards, no TDs. Javé Johnson, 2 catches, 91 yards, 1 TD. Johnson, uh, the other Johnson, one, one catch, 19 yards, no TDs in the game. Buffalo led in the first down margins with 32 first down. The University of Toledo had 8. 8 total first downs in this game against Buffalo. The University of Toledo, 1 for 12 on third down. Buffalo, 8 for 20. UT had 295 yards of total offense, 137 through the air, 158 on the ground. Buffalo, 463. 326 in the air, 137 on the ground. And penalties killed the University of Toledo. They absolutely killed UT. 12 penalties for 148 yards. You can't win a football game with that. You really can't. You're giving them. A touchdown with those those yards. Buffalo five penalties for forty four yards. Now we hit into this time of the time of the year when the Mid American Conference plays weekday games. Bowling Green plays next Tuesday on a weekday and starts this Thursday with two games. Ball State plays this upcoming Thursday, and the University of Toledo travels to Western Michigan to Kalamazoo to take on the Broncos. And we'll preview that game here upcoming, right here on All Andy Offer tonight, because our next show will be next, not until Friday. So we'll talk about that. And you'll hear some of my picks as well, too. But a game that everybody has been talking about and asking my opinion on has been the Ohio State game against Purdue. Now, for those of you that weren't aware of the whole Trent, uh, Trent Strong and uh, Cancer Suck situation, I saw the piece on Saturday, Saturday morning on College Game Day. Rinaldi did a fantastic job with it. I love the piece. The kid made it to the football game, and he honestly changed the factor in this football game because they were playing with more than just football, and they were playing for the school. They were playing for this kid, and the team stepped up big time for him. And under the lights... In prime time, when I saw this game going to prime time, I thought of two things. One, it's going to be a blowout to Ohio State. Or two, it's going to set up for an upset. And it proved 
me right on the second thing. That it was going to be an upset. Absolutely, they were absolutely beaten. Beaten to a pulp in this game. Toledo, Ohio State could not get anything done. They have 500 yards of total offense, but they couldn't get anything done in the run game. Purdue's running defense was stronger than ever in this game. Absolutely strong. Absolutely destroying. Getting through that offensive line and making Haskins uncomfortable in the pocket. Absolutely making them uncomfortable in the pocket. And an upset in West Lafayette as Ohio State loses to Purdue 49-20. Breakdown looks like this. Haskins, 49 for 73, 470 yards, two TDs, one INT in the game. Mike Weber, nine carries for 45 yards, no TDs in the game. K.J. Hill, nine catches for 105 yards, no TD. McLaurin, five catches, 66 yards, one TD in the game. For Purdue, Boyle, 25 for 43, 378, three touchdowns, no INTs in the game. G.J. Cox, six catches, 128, three touchdowns in the game. Moore, 12 catches. 170 yards, two TDs. Isol, two catches, 50 yards, one TD in the game. Breakdown looks like this. Ohio State had 31 first downs to produce. Ohio State was 11 for 22 at third down. Purdue, six for 15. Like I mentioned before, Ohio State had 546 yards of total offense. 470 through the air, 76 on the ground. Purdue 539, 378 in the air, 161 on the ground. Penalties killed the Buckeyes again. 10 penalties for 86 yards. Purdue had 7 penalties for 95 yards. So they had more penalties in the game. But this shook the college football landscape. And it knocked Ohio State down. We'll get to the AP pool in just a second because of that. It shook this playoff standing and it shook the Big Ten and it woke up Michigan now Michigan has more now to play for for any everything else and they proved it on Saturday when they played little brother that's what they call it now little brother and Michigan State and let me get into this right now I am a Michigan State fan I have been a Michigan State fan for the longest period of time I do support Ohio State when they're playing against Michigan and when they're playing against you know any of the other Big Ten opponents. But when Ohio State and Michigan State play, I root for green and white. My, my state flag hangs high in this, in this city. And I'm going to say this right now. The fact that this guy decides to break the chain, break the chain during the walkthrough that stands as unity and then has the audacity to take his cleat and scruff up Sparty at dead center at the 50-yard line. That, to me, tells me that this rivalry is now back on more than ever. This has been dormant for the last three years. 
because Michigan State has beaten Michigan. The botch punt. The terrible rainstorm. The final drive has all been a curse for the University of Michigan. And they got it done, though, this past weekend. But to me, to hear all you Michigan fans, and I've seen it. I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen it on Twitter. It's like, oh, thank God, we finally beat Michigan State. Oh, my God, Ohio State lost. Oh, we still have an opportunity to make it to the national championship. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something about that right now. Notre Dame has a better odds to get to the national championship than Michigan. LSU has a better chance to get to the national championship than Michigan. That's a fact. Oklahoma has a better chance to get to the national championship before Michigan gets to the national championship. But this rivalry, and and D'Antonio then calling it a Bush League issue, I totally agree with him. You do not go into your opponent's area, arena, destroy it, and then on the first play from possession, you get lit up and you are out of the game. That is called karma, my friends. That is called karma. You never, ever, ever do that whenever you're on an opponent's field. Especially when it's a rivalry game. Because that just adds the fuel, the flames. And then Jim Harbaugh today making the comment saying, oh, not dropping it. Jim, drop it. Move on to the next game. You guys got a big game next week. Michigan State has a big game next week. But now you're worried about little brother. You're worried about having him hurt. Let me tell you something. Michigan State has always been down. They were never in a winning market until Mark D'Antonio stepped in. And Michigan State is totally better than Michigan. They have beaten a better a, a top 10 opponent in Penn State. They have beaten. They have been beaten by Arizona State. I'll give you that. They've been beaten now by Michigan. As Michigan beat Sparty 21 to 7. And I'm going to say this. Michigan State had the momentum in the game until the freaking weather break. Lightning in the area. Michigan State had a, was tied at 7. They had the momentum after the interception. The weather broke. And Michigan came out and just drilled Lurkey. Patterson set up great. 14 for 25, 212. Two touchdowns, no INTs. Higgins, 33 carries for 144 yards, no TDs. Donovan Peoples-Jones, one catch, 79 yards, one TD. Nick Collins, three catches, 24 yards, one TD. For Michigan State, Lewerke not having a good game. 
Five for 25. 66 yards of total offense. He also ran the ball one time for four yards. It was a touchdown. The only touchdown. LJ Scott, 20 car- 10 carries for 25 yards. Stewart, two catches for 24 yards. No TDs in the game. Breakdown. Michigan, 19 first downs. And Michigan State's 11. 7 for 18 on third down. The universe- Michigan State University, 0 for 12 in third down. They had a total of 94 yards of total offense. 79 on the in the air. 15 on the ground. 15 yards on the ground. That's not going to get it done against your rival. Michigan, 395 yards total offense. 212 through the air. 183 on the ground. Nine penalties for 99 yards for Michigan. Four penalties, 40 yards for Michigan State. So, you know. And the rivalry is renewed. The rivalry is renewed, my friends. And, and this is great for the state of Michigan to see Michigan State and Michigan now going at it against each other. And Noseboy has to decide and decide whether or not he wants to keep pushing this, keep fighting it on, or just get on with the next week. And get on with the next week, please. I'm, d- I'm done. Get on with next week. Let's let's get on with it. Let's keep it going. All right. You got a big week this week. You got a big week this week. Move on. Move on. Other college football scores. Illinois was a loser to Wisconsin, 23rd ranked Wisconsin, 49 to 20. Northern uh, Iowa, excuse me, Iowa was a winner, 23 to nothing over Maryland. Ninth ranked Oklahoma uh, wins over TCU in the game, uh, 27 to 15. Uh, 20th ranked Kentucky was a loser to Temple in overtime, 24 17. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, roll tie through Tennessee by a final score of 58-21. to Colorado loses to to Washington. The Huskies, 27-13. Penn State was a winner, 33-28 over Indiana. And that game was a close game. All the way to the end. So Penn State's really not that great of a team this year. Clemson easily beats North Carolina State 41-7. Mississippi State loses to LSU 19-3. Central Florida continues their unbeaten ways as they're the 10th-ranked team in the country with a win over Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Carolina University 37-10. It was South Florida winner 38-30 over UConn. Kent, Kentucky gets the win 14-7 over Vanderbilt. Washington State beats Oregon 34-20. Northwestern was a winner, 18 to 15 over Rutgers. Minnesota loses to Nebraska, and Scott Frost gets his first win as coach of Nebraska by a score of 53 to 28. So row the boat was not happy in that one. In double overtime, Army beats Miami, 31 to 30. Eastern Michigan was a winner, 42 to 20 over Ball State. Western Michigan a winner, 35 to 10 over Central Michigan, and in overtime, Akron a winner over Kent State, 24 to 20. Three top twenty-five looks like this, with Ohio State losing this week, this past week they fall hard. Top five looks like this: 
It's Alabama at 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame is now at 3, LSU 4, Texas is at 5. Excuse me, Michigan's at 5. Michigan bumps up with the win against Sparty. 6 is Texas, Georgia 7, Oklahoma 8, Florida is 9, Central Florida is 10. Ohio State goes from 2 to 11 after that loss. Kentucky 12, West Virginia 13, Washington State 14, Washington, the Huskies, are now 15th ranked. Texas A&M, 16th ranked. Penn State, 17th ranked. Iowa, 18th ranked. Oregon, 19th ranked. The Wisconsin Badgers are 20th. 21st is South Florida. NC State, 22nd. Utah, 23rd. Stanford is now 24th. And Appalachia State, 25th in the country. So, games happening this week. A lot of games are happening Thursday night. So, we're going to give you, I'll give you, Five games that are happening this Thursday in the predictions. And we'll break down the Toledo game against Western Michigan. They play at 7 o'clock. And I am going to take Western Michigan in that one. Ball State is at Ohio to take on the Bobcats. I'll take Ohio in that one. 23rd ranked Utah travels to UCLA to take on the Bruins. I'll take Utah in that game. 25th ranked Appalachian State takes on Georgia Southern. I'll take Appalachian State for that one at the Mountaineers of West Virginia take on Baylor. 13th ranked West Virginia taking on Baylor. I'll take West Virginia in that game. So those are your college scores and the college predictions and as well as the top 25. So Bowling Green not playing this weekend. They'll play this upcoming Tuesday, the 30th, against Kent State. As you're listening to All Andy for tonight right here. On the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me tonight, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's hit, continue hitting the gridiron. And let's dive into the NFL. And boy, oh boy, the Browns, yet again, lose a tough one in Tampa. Browns find a way to lose this game. On Sunday, they lose this game, and they lose it in typical Browns fashion, in overtime, to Tampa. And Tampa is a rebuilding team. Sure, Jameis Winston and LeVar Jackson are going to help this team out, but they're a young team. They're a very inexperienced team. And Mayfield not having a great game. In my opinion. This wasn't one of his top tier games. But it was so good to see Nick Chubb. Finally getting reps. After the Carlos Hyde trade. And I told you Nick Chubb is going to be a great team player. For the Browns this year. He's going to be a breakout star in the NFL. But the 59 yard field goal to win the game. I feel for Baker Mayfield after that. After that, as the Browns lose to Tampa, 26-23. Mayfield, 23 for 34, 215 for the year, two touchdowns, no interceptions in the game. Nick Chubb, 18 carries for 80 yards, one TD in the game. Mayfield, four carries for 43 yards. He had a fumble in the game, which cost the Browns. Jarvis Landry, 10 catches, 97 yards, 1 TD. David Njoku, 
four catches, 52 yards, one team in the game. Jameis Winston had a pretty good game, 32 for 52, 365 in the air, no touchdowns, two interceptions, but he carried the ball 10 times for 55 yards and one TD. Barber, 11 carries for 30 yards, no touchdowns. Evans, 7 catches for 107 yards, no TDs. Edwards, 5 catches, 67 yards, no TDs in the game. Breakdown looks like this. Tampa Bay had 4 turnovers in the game to the Browns, 1. Tampa Bay had 34 first downs to Cleveland, 17. On third down, the Browns were 3 for 14. Tampa was 6 for 13. Total yards. Cleveland gave up 456 yards of total offense to the Browns only getting 305 yards. 186 through the air, 119 on the ground. Tampa, 456 like I mentioned, 432 in the air, 114 on the ground. Penalties, 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 penalties killed the Browns. 14 penalties for 114 yards. Tampa, 8 penalties. For 65 yards. So the Browns seem to find a way to lose games that are utmost important. Utmost important. They need games. They need to win games. And they can't get the job done. They can't get the job done. But a team that can't get the job done was the Lions. And the Lions did get a win in Miami. They get a win. Stafford at the helm. And Michael Roberts, the former UT standout, gets the job done as the Lions get a 32-21 win over the Miami Dolphins. Stafford, 18 for 22, 217, two TDs, no interceptions. He also ran the ball not four times for nine yards, no TDs in the game. Johnson, 19 carries to 158 yards, another 100-yard game for Johnson. LeGarren Blunt, 10 Carries for 50 yards, one TD in the game. Michael Roberts, three catches, 48 yards, two TDs in the game. Brock Osweiler, the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, replacing Ryan Tannehill, he had a pretty good game, 22 for 31, 239, two TDs, no interceptions in the game. He also ran the ball one time for two yards. Uh, Drake, six carries, 72 yards, one TD. Frank Gore, 10 carries, 29 yards, no TDs in the game. Danny Amendola, six catches for 84 yards, one TD in the game. Stills, one catch, five yards, one TD. The breakdown looks like this. Detroit had 24 first downs to Miami's 19. Miami was 6 for 11 on third down. Detroit, 2 for 8. Total yards in the game, it was Miami with 322. The Lions, 457. 209 through the air, 248 on the ground. For Miami, like I said, 322, 215 in the air, 107 on the ground. Penalties really didn't matter that much in the game. Both teams did not turn over the ball, which is great to see. Detroit, six penalties for 43 yards. Miami, four penalties for 50 yards. Other games in the NFL looked like this. The Chargers were a winner, 19, uh, loser, the winner, 20 to 19 over the Tennessee Titans in London. So the London game starting back up again. Carolina gets the win in Philadelphia. Come from behind fashion with a win 21-17. Minnesota beats up on the Jets 37-17. How about New England going into Chicago without Rob Gronkowski and getting the job done? Beating the Polish gunslinger. Beating Khalil Mack. 
with a 38-31 win over the Bears. And this Chris Kerdan, I feel bad for you, brother. But I feel great for Phil Gilliam and and my friend, um, my 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 good friend Jim from Aramark. His Colts, your Colts are looking great. Thirty-seven to five win over the Bills. Houston was a winner, twenty to seven over Jacksonville. Baltimore gets the loss over New Orleans, twenty-four twenty-three. And the poor kick, kicking killed this weekend. You had Tuck from Baltimore missing the game-winning field goal. You had the kid from Dallas losing on the last play of the game against Washington, and as to force overtime. As Washington beat the Cowboys 20 to 17, Denver was a winner on Thursday night over Arizona 45 to 10. Kansas City and Kareem Hunt again proves that he is showing things up in the NFL with a win over the Bengals 45 to 10. And then last night on Monday Night Football really shows you how bad the Giants are this year again in prime time as they lose 23 to 20. Had an opportunity to win the game late, but they couldn't get the job done. And Atlanta gets the win 23-20. Games this upcoming Thursday. Miami is in Houston to take on the Texans. I'll take Miami in that game. As you are listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, Thank you for tuning into the program. And now, it is that time of the year, folks. It's time for the Fall Classic. Let's dive into it, shall we? So the Fall Classic begins tonight. As Boston, of course, beats the Houston Astros four games to one. Getting the job done at Minute Maid Park. But the surprise of it all is that Milwaukee held on for so long. Forced a game seven on Saturday night. But the Dodgers pull away and get the win. And they win the series in seven games over the Brew Crew. Four games to three. So tonight, game one at 8.09. Be Clayton Kershaw versus Chris Sale. 8.09 first pitch on Fox. Game two on Wednesday. It'll be Rajon Renew taking on taking on David Price. 809 start time for that one. Then we head back to the West Coast as the Dodgers then will take on will continue their series at Shavas Ravine. It will be Bueller on the Hill for the Dodgers. Hill and they have not yet named the starter for Boston, but it looks like it will be Rick Porcello. And then game four Saturday at not 809. It looks to be both teams have not yet determined who will start in the critical game four of that series. So my opinion, my take, it's going to be a good series. Boston versus L.A. It's always, anytime Boston and L.A. play against each other, it's a big thing. Goes back to the Celtics and the Lakers. Goes back to the Bruins and the Kings. What what else what else is there? Goes now it goes to the Charger the the Rams versus the the Patriots. In my opinion, I think Boston takes this series in six games. I give I give the Dodgers two games. 
Maybe at least two games in one game at Chavez Ravine. Maybe one game at Fenway. But I think it's Boston series to win. I'll take the Red Sox in six. MLB news to pass along to Jose Altuve at the end of the series against Boston has knee surgery. He'll be ready to go by spring training. And here is the big news out of this whole week. Brad Ausmus, the former skipper of the Detroit Tigers, who was three six, who was three eleven, three eleven, three hundred and eleven, uh, three hundred and sixty five, uh, under five hundred record, is now the new manager of the L. A. Angels. <sighs> A player's manager is running. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Albert Pujols. This is this is another Detroit situation. This is another Detroit situation for Brad Auspice. And I feel bad for you LA fans. This guy is an absolute atrocious manager. I hated him when he was with Detroit. He does not show his starters, the long-distance time that they need. He pulls them at inning five or inning six when they're having a great game and goes to the bullpen and blows up the bullpen so bad. So this is not good for Angel fans. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's good to see him back at baseball, but to be with the Angels in that big market, in that L.A. market, good luck. You're going to need it. You're definitely going to need it. You're listening to All Andy L for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast. Now, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's hit to the ice. Yes, home opening week for the walleye. But let's talk about a struggling team in the capital city in the Blue Jackets. That's the Jackets. On Thursday night, took on the Philadelphia Flyers after losing the week before. A full week after the loss from Tampa Bay when they lost 8-2. They get the Flyers at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. And they get the job done. Anthony Duclair with one of the best goals you have seen all season so far. Buries it past Pickard. And absolutely amazing. As the Jackets get a 6-3 win over Philadelphia. Duclair his second. Cam Atkinson his score twice in the game. His third and fourth. Nick Foligno bearing the puck in the back. And then his third of the year. Josh Anderson his fourth. As well as Sonny Milano getting his first all the season. Clancy his first. Lindbaum his second. And and Greer his third for the Flyers. Breakdown looks like this. Philadelphia had 35 shots on net to Columbus's 28. 64% at the first faceoff shot for Philadelphia, 36% for the Jackets. Both teams were 0 for on the power play, 0 for 2. Both teams had four minutes of penalties. The Jackets out hitting the Flyers 19 to 11. Picard 22 for 28 with a save percentage of a .786. Sergey Wawrowski 32 for 35, a .194. 194 save percentage. So it was good to see the Jackets get on the winning page and get out of the funk that they were in. But then they have to play Chicago. 
on Saturday night. Big game. Nationwide Arena sold out. A huge game. Absolutely huge game. And this one was a telling sign of if this season's going to be a good season or not. Because you're playing Chicago. You have to be up for this game. You've got Kane. You have Taze. You have Brandon Saad. You have Artisan Anisimov. These guys have to be ready to go. And Corey Crawford getting rocked in his last start. You figure that he would be trying to catch himself back into the swing of things. And boy did he catch the swing of things on Saturday night. Stopping the Jackets and almost putting up a shutout. But of course, Zach Gorinsky getting a puck in the back of the net. His second of the season. And that's all the offense the Jackets had. DeBronk his seven. Kreider his second. And Patrick Kane. You know, some people, including myself, you know, I, I don't like Patrick Kane. Anytime he, 88 on the ice in red or white is on the ice, I take notice because he always seems to put the puck in the back of the net and he always has Sergei Bobrovsky's number when it comes to that. Killed the Jackets three years ago in on the second to last day of the season when the Jackets needed the points to get into the playoffs. He scores with less than two seconds to go in the game. To prevail Chicago with the win and knocking the Jackets out of the playoffs. He's a Jacket killer. That's what he is. He's a Jacket killer. And I hate him. I absolutely hate him. To get two goals against Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, I was pissed. I was livid. This team looked absolutely, from, from Thursday to Saturday, they look absolutely flat. Absolutely flat. They looked hideous. Horrible. They looked flat-footed. They couldn't get the passes right. And you're playing against the Blackhawks. You're playing against the Blackhawks. you got to get the job done. It has to be done. As the Hawks get a win 4-1 over the Jackets. Jackets outshot Chicago 38-26. Both teams 50% off at the faceoff dot. Both teams 0-4 on the power play. Chicago 0-3. Columbus 0-4. The Jackets had 6 minutes in penalties. Chicago had 8 minutes in penalties. The Jackets out hitting the Hawks 12-4. Crawford stopping 37-38. A safe percentage of a point. 9.74, Bobrovsky stopping 22 of 25. His save percentage up .830. Games happening this past weekend of news and notes. Arizona loses to Winnipeg 5-3 on Saturday night. Vegas was a winner 3-1 over Anaheim. St. Louis a 4-1 win over Toronto. Philadelphia a winner 5-2 over the Devils. Colorado a winner 3-1 over Carolina. Buffalo 5-1 win. How about Detroit getting their first win of the season in overtime? Dylan, uh, Dylan Larkin, this great setup pass. And a great goal as Detroit gets a 4-3 win over Florida. Ottawa wins in overtime 4-3 over, over 
Montreal in overtime. Minnesota 5-4 win over Tampa Bay. And Vancouver getting a 2-1 win in Bo- over Boston in overtime. Nashville shutting out the Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid train 3-0 in the Edmonton Oilers. And San Jose won a 4-1 over the Islanders. And then last night in the NHL, St. Louis was a winner loser to Winnipeg 5-4. Colorado gets a 4-1 win over Philadelphia. Detroit absolutely looking horrendous. And Blashill is in the hot seat now. Blashill has got to be in the hot seat now. They absolutely look horrendous against Carolina. They lose 3-1. Washington was a winner 5-2 over Vancouver. Tonight on the docket, Anaheim is in, Col- in, in Chicago. Florida is in New York to take on the Rangers. Calgary is in Montreal. Boston is in Ottawa. San Jose and Nashville. That game on NBC is sent at 8 o'clock. The Kings are in Dallas. Pittsburgh is at Edmonton. And tonight at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard in, in the Arena District, it will be the Columbus Blue Jackets taking on the Arizona Coyotes. 7 o'clock puck drop. That game on Fox Sports Ohio and Fox Sports Florida. Looking at the standings going into this into tonight's play. It looks like this. The NHL is pretty much wide open. The best team right now in the NHL is the Toronto Maple Leafs still. Still the best team out there. So Toronto, the best team in the league with a record of 6-3-0 with 12 points in the Atlantic Division. Tampa Bay, 5-1-1 with 11 points. Montreal, 4-1-2 with 10 points. Metropolitan Division, the best team in the match, Metropolitan Division. What can I say? The Carolina Hurricanes at 5-3-1 with 11 points. Washington, 4-2-2 with 10 points. The Devils, 4-2-0 with 8 points. Wildcard standings look like this. Boston, 4-2-2 with 10 points. And Buffalo is 5-4-0 with 10 points. Ottawa is 4-2-1 with 9 points. Pittsburgh, 3-1-2 with 8 points. The Jackets, 4-3-0 with 8 points. Philadelphia, 4-5-0 with 8 points. The Islanders, 3-4-0 with 6 points. Florida, 1-2-3 with 5 points. The Rangers, 2-5-1 with 5 points. And the Detroit Red Wings are 1-6-2 with 4 points. Western Conference looks like this. Nashville is leading in the Central with a record of 7-1-0 with 14 points. Colorado, 6-1-2 with 14 points. Winnipeg, 6-2-1 with 13 points. It's the Anaheim Ducks in the Pacific Division at 5-3-1 with 11 points. Calgary, 5-3-0 with 10 points. Vancouver, 5-4-0 with 10 points. Wildcard standings look like this. Chicago, 4-2-2 with 10 points. Minnesota, 4-2-2 with 10 points. San Jose, 4-3-1 with 9 points. Vegas, 4-4-0 with 8 points. St. Louis, 2-3-3 with 7 points in the standings right there. And those are the top top teams looking forward in that one. Arizona towards the bottom of the division. So the Jackets can get a big win tonight will help their help their chances going forward. Speaking of chances, how about the walleye? Losing in Indianapolis in overtime. Burschback with two goals. The new kid, Koyak, his first of the year. But Rupert scoring in overtime to give Indianapolis a 4-3 win. Their home opener. Spoiling the the walleyes 
winning streak as they are now at one one and one. They were they outshot the field thirty six to thirty two. They were one for five on the power play. Indianapolis one for four on the power play. Indianapolis ten minutes in penalties. Toledo eight minutes in penalties. The walleye will get into action Wednesday night at seven fifteen against the 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 Cincinnati Cyclones before they head to Fort Wayne on Friday night. 8 o'clock start time for that one as as the Comets take on the Walleye. And then Saturday night, this upcoming Saturday, 7.15 puck drop in downtown Toledo. The home opener for the Toledo Walleye. We will be there in attendance. Of course, we'll do a Facebook live stream from, from the arena. Yours truly will be there in attendance. Stop on by, say hello. We will be there. And we'll be at the concourse during intermission, and you'll hear um, you'll hear my take on this week's game. So we'll see what happens with that. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And now we are headed to the end of the program in Andy Rants. So tonight's Andy Rants is a it's not really a two parter. It is not even a three-parter. This is just me talking tonight. Um, as many of you are aware, I was I am a wrestling fan. I am big supporter of The Miz, of course. Um, but um, last night was totally, totally a shock. What happened last night on Monday Night Raw? Um, the absolute amazement of one Mr. Roman Reigns, or his name, or as everybody calls him, Joe. Roman is uh was a is a face of the WWE. He is a one of the top tier guys in the in WWE, and he's one of the. Some people think he's not a crowd favorite. Some people are not. He's not a crowd favorite. Some people think that you know they don't like Roman Reigns because he's Vince's boy. But um, uh, last night really showed his true color. Um, last night he uh, he relinquished the Universal Championship after finding out that he has leukemia for the second time. Um, this is a terrible disease that kills so many people. And um, this guy is a, a nice guy. He does a lot for the community. Does a lot for wrestling. Does a lot for children's charities. And to see this happen to this young man, it's just absolutely horrendous to see. Um, you saw, uh, I don't know if a lot of his cohorts, which are Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, are the ring names. Uh, Rollins crying in in Roman's arms. And Rollins and Reigns have been together. They're thick and thin. Through a lot of turmoil in WWE between the two careers, with Rollins having his knee blown out and now seeing his friend battle with leukemia, this is a uh, this is a tough, tough, tough thing to battle. This is he he fought it and was in remission early, um, but it has come back and now it is. Um, to me, it sounds like it, it's not good. 
when it comes to that. So, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with his family, his kids, and all the wrestling community that is affected by this. This man is a nice man, great man. He's not dead. I'm not going to say he's dead, but but he relinquished the title last night, and um, our thoughts are with him. And all I had to say is thank you, Roman, for everything you've done for the wrestling community and for for making dreams come true for people and making days brighter for children as well. So you will beat this, buddy. You will absolutely beat this, and we're here to support you. Us as fr- fans of this of this of this show of these shows and of of the network we support you we absolutely support you and i like i said thank you roman for everything so there's that so thank you roman for everything again like i said and um to talk briefly a little bit more about wrestling i'd like to i'd like to say that this sunday is a, a big sunday for women's wrestling as they get their own pay-per-view event, Evolution uh, looks going to be like it's going to be a good one. I think Ronda Rousey versus Nikki Bella that sets up a great match. Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. Uh, you see the return of Trish Stratus and Lita. You also see uh, a good six-women tag match with Sasha Banks, Bailey, and and Natalia versus the Riot Squad. That looks like it's going to be a great match. Nia Jax and Amber Moon battling it out. I think it's going to be great. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens this upcoming week and in WWE with that. But like I said, Roman Reigns. It just that was a that was a complete shock to me, an absolute complete shock that that would happen to a nice guy like that. So that's uh that's actually part one, and I do have two parts too. Andy Rance tonight, and the second part of this is is on a personal note. You know, um, been battling with a few health problems, but um, you know I'm back at it. Uh, we didn't do a show Friday night Friday um, because of the time constraints, as well as a few things I had to take care of. Um, I was di- I was diagnosed with uh, some high cl- with high cholesterol. Been battling that. Um, gonna get better with it. Um, blood test came back a little abnormal, so I'm battling that. And um, doctor says I'll pull through with this and take care of it. So I was getting some extra blood work done on Friday for the sh- from the show, and um, so that's why we weren't on the air on Friday. But we will we are back at it this upcoming Friday for a special Falcon Friday edition of the program. And like I mentioned before, uh, we're going to do the show next Monday, getting you set up for BG's game against Kent, uh, Kent State next Tuesday at the Doit. 7 o'clock kickoff for that one. Um, this upcoming Sunday, we are going to be at uh, I'll be at Cedar Point for the finale, the final day of operation, of course. You'll see some of my Facebook pictures as well as some information and maybe a Facebook Live. We'll do Facebook Live Saturday. Friday night, of course, for the Falcon Friday edition. Even though they don't play until Tuesday, we still have a Falcon Friday edition of the program. Sat- uh, Saturday, we will be at the Walleye Opener 
cruising around downtown. We're going to stop at Frickers, of course, downtown. To get If you want to stop by, I'll let you know what time we're going to be there. We'll get on our Twitter account. Stop by, have a couple pops. Enjoy the festivities of opening night, of course. And then Sunday, we'll be at Cedar Point for the closing day of Cedar Point. Weather looks like it's going to be atrocious that day, but that might be that might draw the crowds out. And of course, Monday, we'll be back on the air for this edition of All Andy Alford right here on the Anchor Network. So that is some housekeeping notes to pass along to you for the upcoming week. And of course, of course, next Friday, we will be back on the air for All Andy Alford for another week. But that's going to wrap it up for this Tuesday evening edition of the program. As always, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together, the game of life. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do shows every Tuesday and Friday. And that's also pending because of the max schedule that's happening right now. But every Tuesday and Friday, right here on the Anchor Network. So, uh, like I said, I'm Andy Alford. I thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And, as always, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home, and to my teams, the Jackets. Go, Jackets! Go Walleye! Go Falcons! Big game tonight at the Slater Ice House, BG and Western Michigan. And a big weekend at the Slater Ice House with Ohio State calling. Go Falcons! Go Buckeyes! Gotta get better this upcoming week. Go Lions and go Browns. And thank you, Roman. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you on Friday for a Falcon Friday edition of the program on Facebook Live and on the Anchor Network. Love you. Talk to you then. This has been a presentation of All Andy Alford and the All Andy Alford Network. Powered by... Inker.